How many samples do we need, Commander? Seven. Hundred grams each. We have a mission update. Storm warning. Commander, you should come inside. You're gonna wanna see this. What is it? Storm warning. I saw that in this morning's briefing. We'll be inside before it hits. Yeah, they, they upgraded their estimate. The storm's gonna be a lot worse. Martinez, how's it look? Not good. 1,200 kilometers in diameter bearing 24.41 degrees. That's tracking right towards us. Based on current escalation, estimate a force of 8,600 newtons? What's the abort force? 7,500. Anything more than that, and the map can tip. Will we scrub? Begin abort procedure.
about how we normally start church, isn't it? <laughs> if you're visiting with us, we'd like to welcome you into Redwood. This isn't quite how we normally do things, but uh, we're starting this new series this week called At the Movies. And uh, one of the things about this series that I always like is it really allows us to kind of tap into uh, things that relate to us in a different way and see parallels of the gospel in them. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul was in Athens, the seat of uh, education and and, uh, intellectual superiority of of the world, and uh, he went on this hill and he quoted uh, uh, poets and philosophers and Stoics and all these things in order to bring people to the gospel. And we kind of see some parallels here uh, today through this. So hopefully you got your popcorn. Uh, If not, there's still some back there. Help yourself. Uh, Just clean up your mess when you're done, okay? Uh, But... As you saw in this opening scene here today, we are looking at a movie called The Martian. Uh, This is a movie that came out about four years ago. Uh, It takes place in the near future, the year 2035, on a manned mission to Mars. So the whole movie really centers around NASA and and this crew of of this mission called the Ares 3. It's a manned mission on Mars. The movie stars Matt Damon as astronaut Mark Watney and Jessica Chastain as Commander Melissa Lewis. And you saw there, they're on a 31-day mission. On day 18, uh, this storm comes in, bigger than they expect, and it, excuse me, it threatens their safety. It threatens to knock over their uh, Mars Ascent Vehicle, or MAV, and so they have to abort the mission. And in the process, if you couldn't see because it was dark there, Mark Watney is struck by debris, his suit goes offline, and all they can do is assume that he is dead because they lose, tri- lose sight of him. They, they have no visibility, no sign of life, and they have to make the difficult decision to go and leave him behind. <clears throat> As you're going to see, this is the opening scene of the movie. I'm not spoiling anything here. Uh, Mark Watney survives. Uh, it's a two-hour movie, and you saw the first five minutes of it. Uh, so obviously, the, the main character, Matt Damon, uh, survives. And the rest of the movie basically becomes uh, this mission to figure out how to save him. Now, if you keep up with Hollywood, you keep up with movies, you might start to realize a theme because Matt Damon often finds himself in situations that require saving. Think about it. There's a whole movie called Saving Private Ryan. He is Private Ryan. They have to go save him. Uh, There's movies called Interstellar and Courage Under Fire. Hollywood has spent hundreds of millions of dollars just saving Matt Damon over the years. But here's kind of the thought behind that, and here's where we're going to go with this today, is that... In each of these movies, Matt Damon plays a character, plays a person with incredible value that others will risk everything to go save. And you think about this in your own life, when you have lost something of value, something or someone of great value, there aren't many things you won't do to save that thing or to save that person. And we're going to see a parallel here, and we're going to see really how God has done more and more than you could possibly imagine to save you and to save me. Here at Redwood, we make it a priority uh, to evangelize. 
And what that means is, is, is for you to learn how to share your story. And that doesn't mean that it's this intimidating thing of, of you've got to be some great Bible scholar or you have to be able to speak eloquently or teach eloquently. It just means that you need to learn how to share the story of your faith with others. Share what Jesus has done for you in your life with other people. And I realize that can sound daunting, but it doesn't have to be. It just means that you need to make an intentional decision to invest in the lives of others and show them what Jesus has done for you. The Apostle Paul said it very well in in 1 Corinthians. He said, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. As Christians, our responsibility is to remove as many of those barriers between us and others and between others and God as possible. That's what we want to do. We should be doing anything and everything we can to help all the people in our world who don't know Jesus find so that they can follow Jesus. You're going to see in this next scene here that that obviously Mark Watney is not dead, and he's going to come to this realization that he has lost and he has no hope whatsoever, and he just seemingly has no way out, but just is trying to survive. At around 4.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, our satellites detected a storm approaching the Ares 3 mission site on Mars. At 6.45, the storm had escalated to severe, and we had no choice but to abort the mission. Thanks to the quick action of Commander Lewis, astronauts Beck, Johansson, Martinez, and Vogel, we're all able to reach the Mars Ascent Vehicle and perform an emergency launch at 7.28 Central Time. Unfortunately, during the evacuation, astronaut Mark Watney was struck by debris and killed. Commander Lewis and the rest of her team were able to intercept safely with the Hermes and are now heading home. But Mark Watney is dead. astronaut I'm entering this log for the record uh, in case I don't make it uh, it is oh, 6.53 on Sol 19 and I'm alive obviously but I'm guessing that's going to come as a surprise to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world really so Surprise, I did not die on Sol 18, uh, best I can figure. This length of our primary communications antenna broke off 
and tore through my biomonitor and ripped a hole in me as well. Uh, but the, the antenna and, and the blood really managed to seal the breach in my suit, which kept me alive, even though the crew must have thought I was dead. I have no way to contact NASA, and even if I could, it's gonna be four years until a manned mission can reach me. And I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. If the oxygenator breaks, I'm gonna suffocate. If the water reclaimer breaks, I'll die of thirst. If the hab breaches, I'm just gonna kind of implode. And if by some miracle none of that happens, eventually I'm gonna run out of food. So, yeah. obviously wakes up from, from being knocked out and, and gets back there and he's recording just this video diary. Nobody else can see this, but he's hoping that maybe one of these days somebody will revisit that site and see all of this. But as you can see, he comes to this sobering reality of his situation. He is lost, nobody knows he's alive, and he's hopeless. As he says, it's going to take at least four years for them to get back to me. It's a 10-month trip, according to the movie, uh, between Earth and Mars anyway. And the place that he's staying in, it's basically a big tent, is designed to last 31 days, and he's on day 19 of it. And as he says, even if nothing goes wrong, I'm going to run out of food before long anyways. He's basically left there with his thoughts. He's left there wondering just how long is it going to be until I die because I am going to die up here. But what about the rest of us? What if we're on the other side of this? Go back to the beginning of that clip when uh, Teddy Sanders, the director of NASA, says Mark Watney is dead. Did you hear the gasp in the room? Like the shock of, of everybody just couldn't believe that they lost an astronaut? And I wonder about this as the church, as Christians. Do we ever have a similar reaction to those around us that are lost? Because if you think about it, we all know somebody who is lost, who is dead spiritually because they're separated from Jesus. And I think in our day and time, with the way our culture has shifted, we've just kind of become numb to this a little bit, immune to this a little bit. We've kind of gotten used to seeing more and more people step away from Jesus. And I mean, kind of our hearts have kind of become hardened to them being lost and falling away. I mean, do, do we have that similar gasp in our lives? You see, that should get our attention, that thousands upon thousands of people in this, this town and this valley are without Jesus. That should get our attention. That's why I always wonder when people say, well, I wouldn't want to be a part of a big church. And my response is, why not? That means people are coming to Jesus here. That means people are coming. Man, I would love to see a church that has to grow and, 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 and add services and build because people are coming to Jesus because the alternate to that is that people are going away from Jesus and not coming to the church. See, that's the thing is, is the church right now is not outgrowing the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of Satan. That kingdom is growing rapidly every single day. That should get our attention. That should cause us to gasp out loud and alarm us because that kingdom is easy to succeed in. Last week, we talked about Samson. We said running that lifestyle is easy in fact, Jesus says so himself in Matthew chapter 7. He says, for the gate is wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That road's easy. But narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. 
And we think about that. We've said this before, if following Jesus seems easy, we may not actually be following Jesus. Following Jesus is hard. It requires us to, to live a certain way, to mold our lives, to become more like him. So can we just take a minute and think about the thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this community alone that don't know Jesus, that are lost hopelessly, that if their life ended today, they would spend eternity away from Jesus. These are people that God loves, that God created, that God died for. And I'm convinced if Jesus were here today, he would be out there among them trying to bring them to the Father. He would be surrounding himself with them, trying to grow his kingdom. I've said this repeatedly from this stage as our church. We have the same mission that Jesus had because Jesus gave us this mission. John chapter 20, he tells us, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How was he sent? He told us three different times throughout the Gospels how he was sent. He came to give life and to give it to the full. He came to serve others. Anyone remember the third? To seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why we exist. And multiple times outside of this passage, Jesus handed us off a very similar mission. Matthew chapter 28, go make disciples. Acts chapter 1, go be my witnesses. And here's the thing. It's up to us to get there. Paul says in Romans 10, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? See, the problem is too many people are lost and nobody's looking for them. Too many people are out there and they don't even maybe realize they're lost and nobody's bothering to go find them. Our number one priority, folks, has to be the lost. It was Jesus' number one priority. That's why he came. But here's the thing. It requires us to be intentional to go look for them and to go find them. Back here in the movie, Mark has no idea anyone's looking for him. And suddenly, after about six weeks, somebody makes a discovery. Mindy Park in SATCON. I need the emergency contact for Vincent Kapoor. How sure? 100%. For a start, solar panels have been cleaned. It could have been cleaned by wind. Back it up. Look at Rover 2. According to the logs, Commander Lewis took it out, Sol 17, plugged it into the hab to recharge. It's been moved. She could have forgotten to log the move. No, not likely. You can imagine what he's going through up there. 
I mean, he's 50 million miles away from home. He thinks he's totally alone. He thinks we gave up on him. I mean, what does that do to a man psychologically? I'm definitely gonna die up here if I have to listen to any more god-awful disco music. Commander Lewis, couldn't you have packed anything from this century? No, I'm not. I'm not gonna turn the beat around. I refuse to. How could you not know he's alive? Keep your job. What attempts have been made to make contact with Mark Watney? We're working on it. Does he have enough supplies to survive? We'll be looking into that. Do you know what I'm What does this say about the agency? Are you gonna resign? No. Director Sanders! Uh, I love that scene. Uh, just because that's right there, everything changes. They, they get a glimpse of a satellite photo, and, and suddenly he's alive. You heard him say, how sure are you? 100% sure that he's alive. And that's the moment everything changes. They were going to get satellite photos to get closure, and instead they get a new mission. And now suddenly for the next or rest of the movie, everything starts focusing on how can we bring him back? How can we go get him? How can we get him home? And you notice kind of throughout the movie, the, the director there, Teddy Sanders, he, he kind of comes off like the bad guy. He's really not, but he's just thinking 100% practically. And so he's not thinking so much in terms of, of vision or hope or faith, but he's thinking in terms of practicality. Is it worth all the money and all the manpower and all the energy and resources to go after a lost cause? That's kind of what he's thinking. Because in his mind, there's no way we can, we can save him. And so that's, that's where he always kind of plays, plays the bad guy in the rest of this. But everybody else is like, what can we possibly do to go up there and get him? I think one of the greatest risks that we play in the church today is we get too comfortable and too practical. And we realize, you know what, some of those people, they're just lost anyway. They're just lost. And so maybe they realize they need to come to Jesus and we'll be here waiting for them when they show up. But, but we're going to put it off. We're going to put it off on them. And we stop wasting our energy in our minds on going after them. We don't want to run that risk of hurting others or losing others to go save one. And I think Jesus would want us to kind of realize that's not the attitude that he had. And if we want to be like him, we need to get rid of that attitude because in, in Luke chapter 15, we see exactly how Jesus' attitude towards the lost was because he tells three stories in this passage about something of value that was lost and about somebody's commitment to go after that. The first is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one of them gets lost. One of them wanders off. And it says that the shepherd left the 99 on a, on a hillside, and he went after the lost one. Now, some of you are, are business people. Some of you have, have done this. If you've got 100 of something, and you come out with 99% in the end, it's not bad. Not a bad loss, right? But no, the shepherd went after the one. He chased the one and he left the 99. Then he tells uh, the next one about a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. And you think about that, she still has 90% of, of that. But she turns her house upside down finding the one coin. It wasn't about the monetary value to her. This was a, a personal treasure to her. It meant a lot to her. And then maybe the most famous one is maybe Jesus' most famous parable. Uh, it comes at the last part of, of Luke 15. It's about a man who had two sons. And the younger one, demanded his inheritance early, he took it, he ran off, he cursed his father, and he partied and, and, and drank and, 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 and wasted his money away till he had nothing. And he wanted to come home, and when the father realized he was coming home, the father went after him. 
Not to scold him, not to get on to him, but to go after him and to bring him home. Folks, nothing should matter more to us than somebody who is lost and hurting and hopeless. We should be intentional at going after that person. No matter how many we have here, we should be going after the one. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. It's hard to imagine the emotions of somebody in that situation. There's a scene in the movie I'm not going to show just for the sake of time, but it shows this range of emotions because now there's hope that they figure out a way for Mark to communicate with them in real time. So he can actually talk. They've got a plan. Uh, he's, he's learned how to, uh, he's a botanist, so he's learned how to grow crops in, in Martian soil. He goes through this really cool uh, process of, of making it where he can actually grow crops, and he's got hope. He's got enough food to last him for years now, and, and they're going to send a mission to go save him. And then in one instant, the hab rips open. He's exposed to the Martian atmosphere. His crops are gone. And he's back to being hopeless. He's got enough food to last him a few days, and that's about it. He's hopeless. And he goes from this incredible amount of optimism to despair to hopelessness again. And meanwhile, his crew is on their way back home. They don't even know about all this yet because they have no way to go back after him. They're on a very dangerous mission of their own. But here's the thing, and I want you to understand this because all of us, I think, can relate to this hopeless feeling somehow, some way. Maybe you have been there and you are there in that hopeless situation where you feel lost, like nobody's looking for you, and if they are, there's no way they can save you, or maybe you're the one that's looking for somebody who's hopelessly lost, and they don't want to be found, or they keep pushing help away. You're in one of those two realities. I want you to understand something. You are never away from God. He's looking for you. In fact, I'd say it this way. God's been on a search and rescue mission for you since you took your first breath. And no matter how far you have run, he has chased you. He has been in pursuit of you. He's been coming after you like that father came after his son. He has gone to unbelievable lengths to let you know that he sees you and that he loves you. And the same for that lost person in your life. He wants you to experience hope, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And that's why he sent his son to die for you. Our struggle often is the way God communicates his love to us because we don't always understand it. We want to understand it, but sometimes it doesn't make as much sense to us. But God communicates his love to you sometimes through other people. That's why the community of the church is so important. Not just coming on Sundays, this is important, but also being plugged into a home group, being plugged into areas where you can serve. That's why those are core values to us because that helps us understand God's love better through each other. The more you are around other people who love God, know God, and are chasing God, the more you will see that you can be spurred on to to continue to know you're being searched for. And there's a rescue plan in place for you. Sometimes that rescue plan doesn't go like you want it to. Sometimes there are bumps in the road. But sometimes you realize that in the process of this, those that are out there with you are willing to risk everything to help you out. This is the scene where the, the crew actually realizes there's a chance they can, they can save him. Watch this. What's up? I just got an email from my wife, and the subject line says, uh, Our children. My computer won't open the attachment. Okay. Let's take a look. Let's see. This isn't a JPEG. 
It's a it's a plain ASCII text file. I don't really know what we're looking at. It's um, does that make any sense to you? Bridge Purnell maneuver. It's a course maneuver for the Hermes. And the mission concludes with Earth intercept 211 days later. Would it work? Mm-hmm. We ran the numbers. They check out. It's a brilliant course. It's so wild a cloak and dagger. Because it goes directly against NASA's decision. Yeah. If we do the maneuver, they'd have to send the supply ship where we die. We have the opportunity to force their hand. So, are we going to do it? If it was up to me, we'd already be on our way. But it is, though, isn't it? Up to you? <laughs> Not this time. This is something NASA expressly rejected. We're talking about mutiny here, which is not a word that I take lightly. So we do this together or not at all. And before you answer, consider the consequences. If we mess up the supply rendezvous, we die. If we mess up the Earth gravity assist, we die. If we do everything perfectly, we had 533 days to our mission. 533 more days before we see our families again. 533 days of unplanned space travel where anything could go wrong. If it's mission critical, we die. Sign me up. All right, cowboy, slow down. You and I were military. Chances are we go home, they'll court-martial us. Oh, yeah, there's that. And for the rest of you guys, I guarantee they will never send you back up here again. Good. So if we go for it, how, uh, how would it work? I plot the course and execute it. Well, it has to be unanimous. If we do this, it will be over 900 days of space. That's more than enough space for one life, so... Yes. I vote yes. Let's go get him. Yeah, Hanson? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. They've already been in space for over a year and a half, away from their families. The, the Commander Lewis has got a husband and children at home. Uh, they've been away for that long. They know the slightest thing goes wrong. Not only is Mark dead, but they're dead as well, too. They've got one shot to make this work, and without a hesitation, they say, let's do this. See, NASA had gone the safer route, the longer route, but they, like she says, we can force their hand and make them do this. And so they're willing to commit now over 900 days, almost three years, to being in space, away from everything they know and love that's normal to them, to save their friend. And I think about this because I wonder if there's someone in your life that you would be willing to do something like this for. You would be willing to risk it all to help save this person, to help find this person. Uh, there, there was a quote one time that said, sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And I wonder how many of you have ever experienced that or understand that. Some of us today need to make sacrifices to help others. And you might think, well, I'm not qualified to do this. Like, I don't have what it takes to do what needs to be done. And I want to tell you, that's, that's, a, that's just the enemy telling you that you're not good enough. Because you are. Because you are. And here's what I want you to understand. You might not be able to help everyone, but you can help someone. And you might not be able to do everything, but you can do something. You can do something to help someone. Here's a start. 
For the next few weeks, we're going to be in this series at the movies. Outside of Christmas and Easter, this is one of the easiest series to invite someone to church to. Who doesn't love movies? We can connect to movies so easily. In fact, the first time I watched this particular movie, you kind of know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, they're not just going to crush your soul in the end, but you're just gripped to it, right? You're locked in. You know, how many movies have we watched where we're so emotionally invested, we're wiping our eyes when it's over with? Movies are easy. Everybody can connect to movies, so invite somebody with you. Bring somebody here. There are people around you who desperately need an invitation to church, and there are people around you who are waiting for one. Now, I realize that's easier said than done because we've all invited somebody that's told us no, but somebody out there is waiting for us to invite them so they can tell us yes. See, I promise you this, when people come to Redwood, they're going to see this is a place that can lead you to hope because hope is only found through Jesus. And that is our mission here is to help people uh, find and say yes to Jesus. It might not be easy. There might be somebody who will reject you. There might be bumps along the road. But no rescue mission goes off smoothly. There's always bumps along the road, at least in the Hollywood versions. As you're going to see in this final clip, this is a long clip that I've cut way down for time's sake. But they finally get to Mark. They finally try to rescue him. And of course, it doesn't go that smoothly. But watch this final scene as as they make it back to Mars. About two minutes, what? Hey, how you doing down there? I'm good. I'm anxious to get up to you. Thanks for coming back for me. Well, we're on it. Remember, we'll be pulling some serious G, so it's okay to pass out. Capcom, go. Remote command, go. Recovery, go. Secondary recovery, go. Pilot, go. Pilot, go. Captain, we'll go. Mission control, we are go for launch. T minus 10, 9. Main engine start. About five seconds, Watney. Hang on. find something sharp in here and poke a hole in the glove of my EVA suit. I could use the escaping air as a thruster and and fly towards you. It would be easy to control because it'd be on my arm. I can't see you having any control if you did that. You'd be eyeballing the intercept using a thrust vector you can barely control. Yes, yes, those are all very good points. But consider this. I'd get to fly around like Iron Man. Commander, let's go Iron Man. Hook me up. Done.
I have visual on the map. What's the intercept range? I'm checking. 312 meters. Did you say 312? Great, I'll wave at you guys as I go by. Oh. I can't get to you, Mark. You're too far. I'm not gonna make it. I know. Beck, unhook me. I'm going after him. Commander, I got this. Mark, report. On my way, Commander. see the celebration there in Houston in Mission Control and at the other uh, viewing centers, and there's one in Pasadena, one in Beijing, because they, they paired with the Chinese space agency to go get him, and then celebrations in Times Square and in London and in, in different places across the world. They were glued to this. Why? Because they saved the life of one person so his life on earth could be extended a few more years. Now think about this. He's going to come back to earth, and like the rest of us, grow old, and eventually uh, he, his body is going to die. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. With that much celebration for someone's life being extended, imagine the celebration for someone's eternal life being granted. Because the Bible tells us this in, in, in Luke chapter 15. It says that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, over one person who comes home. That's why I love it when somebody comes to Christ. That's why I love watching people be baptized and dedicating their life to the Lord because they are saying that I have been rescued. 
And I belong to God now. I have been found. I have been brought back home. Maybe for you, you, you've seen somebody, maybe you've been baptized recently or you've seen a son or a daughter or, or a friend or a family member be baptized recently. That is worth celebrating. So when we get a baptism here, we celebrate it. We stand and applaud and we clap and we cheer and we yell. Earlier we said Hollywood has spent hundreds of millions of dollars bringing Matt Damon home and saving him. But you think about it, God spent more than that on you. He sent his son, his only son, to give up everything he had in heaven, to come to earth, put on our limitations, and then die a revolutionary's death on the cross for you. To die a painful, horrific death for you. So you better believe it. God values your neighbor who rejects you. God values your your friend who is looking for something in their life and they don't know what it is. God values your family member who, who, who has told you to get out that your heart breaks for, God values that person as much, if not, not far more than you do. God values that person that you have sent a text to inviting them to church 20 times, and they've rejected you 20 times, and maybe, just maybe, number 21 will be it. Don't give up on that person. Don't give up on any of them because they have value in the eyes of their creator, of our Lord. And when they come to him, Heaven will celebrate. Heaven will celebrate. God values them. So we value them. Every person, every person here, every person out there was made in the image of God. And he loved them so much, the Bible tells us that he sent his son to die on the cross for them. That if they may believe in him, they may have eternal life. What are you willing to do to help somebody be found and to help somebody find Jesus. That's your challenge today. Invite someone to church. Tell them your story. You don't have to be a great preacher or an evangelist or a Bible scholar. You just have to want them to know Jesus. That's it. What are you willing to do this week to help somebody find out about Jesus so that they can find Jesus. God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you never, ever give up on us. God, that you have chased us and pursued us. God, even when we didn't want to be found, you chased after us. And God, when we stopped running and we turned around, Lord, we realized you were right there waiting for us. So God, I pray that that we would take that same type of urgency in our hearts for others. Because, God, eternity is a breath away. It's a heartbeat away. And that can be an eternity with you or apart from you. God, I want as many people as we can possibly get to have that eternity come with you. So, God, give us that desire, that motivation. Break our heart, Lord, for those who are apart from you. No matter what they look like, no matter how they talk to us, no matter how much they disagree with us, God, break our heart for them so we would go after them with the same purpose you came after us. God, if somebody is here today and they feel lost, Lord, let them know how valuable they are. Show them that value. Show them, Lord, in their heart what they mean to you. That, God, maybe the world around them has rejected them, but you never will. And therefore, as a church, we never will. God, let us be able to show the hope and the love that you have and that you bring to our world. God, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen.